0: I will read Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Hear now God's word, for this is indeed his word. Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenus and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word, and we pray that as we consider this passage that you would teach us and instruct us uh, as to what this office of deacon uh, entails, that you might help us to see what men we ought to uh, set apart and call to this office. We thank you that you care for your church, you care for us individually, and we thank you that you raise up leaders. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There is a bit of a debate within the church, uh, particularly the American church, as far as what is the right size of a individual local church body. Uh, You might be surprised to know that up and through the 1960s, the majority of all Protestant believers attended or were members of a church that was probably on average uh, no more than 75 people uh, as members of the church, which is slightly smaller than what Zion Presbyterian Church is right now, but in the 1970s we saw the rise of the mega churches that were 2,000 plus, and as a result many of the people who were part of smaller churches left, flocked to these mega churches. But it raises uh, an interesting question, and there, there you do hear this debate among people: is what is the ideal size of a church? Is it better to be in a smaller church that is more intimate to you? Everybody knows everybody. Everyone is serving. There's more opportunity for uh, participation. Or is it better to be part of these larger churches that have greater resources to extend the kingdom of God? And uh, unfortunately, God's Word doesn't answer that question for us. It actually doesn't ask that question, so it doesn't answer it either. Um, But it does tell us a few things about the growth of the church. And the first thing that it tells us is that God's Word uh, causes us to expect that a faithful church will be a fruitful church, that fruitfulness will be both in spiritual maturity of its believers, but also numerical growth. Within the church, we ought to expect that type of growth. Um, But the second part is that growth in the church often results in a greater complexity and conflict within the church. Since the growth of the church, baptizing and making disciples, um, teaching them uh, everything that Jesus taught, involves bringing sinners into the fold. There's necessarily going to be complexity and conflict in the church. And as we come to this particular passage in Acts chapter 6, we see both of those things at work. Um, But we also see that the Lord works through that conflict and that complexity to bring about his purposes. Um, this, this, This conflict requires focused care focused shepherding and the Lord raises up people in order to care for those things and that's what we need to see as we look at this passage is that the Lord cares for the, the practical needs of his people in the midst of the church and he raises up men in the office of deacon at his appointed servants to take the lead on that particular aspect of the ministry of the church so we'll start by looking through the passage, and it's very simple. We'll just, it shows us a problem in the church, and then a solution, and then the result of that solution. So the passage starts and says, In these days when the disciples were increasing in number... You might remember that uh, this is this is the book of Acts. This is talking about the Holy Spirit's work in the church, the early church, and they had been preaching the gospel of grace. They had been living out this Christian community, and the Lord had brought fruitfulness to the ministry. the The number of disciples was increasing in number, but there was a problem. There were, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. It says there uh, these two groups. Um, within the church. The church had grown in such a way that is now uh, ethnically diverse and um, even linguistically, or their language was different. These Hellenistic Jews are the Greek-speaking Jews that are now believing in the Lord Jesus Christ in addition to the Hebrews. And this conflict, this this, this uh, complaint comes from the Greek-speaking Jews, and they say that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So just so you understand, this is how the widows were cared for by the uh, early church. They would receive a daily distribution of clothing, food, and perhaps even money, their daily necessities. And this uh, Hellenistic group was definitely the minority at that time. You know, Some estimates were 10 to 20% of the church population were these Hellenistic uh, Jews and their widows were being overlooked, and so uh, they brought this to the. It says to the twelve, the, these are the twelve apostles who are uh, executing with the authority of the church at this particular time, and and they they brought this complaint and the twelve. But the twelve basically say, "Well, um, we we can't we can't uh, divert from what our primary responsibility is right now." He says, "It is, it is not right." that we should give up or divest this preaching of the word of God to serve tables. They, They see that their primary calling is the preaching of the word of God. And this complaint, while important, would take away from that were they to do that. But they still see it as an important issue. So they come up with a solution. It says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Their solution is to raise up additional leaders who will care for these widows and presumably for the whole church with this particular task. And their qualifications are those of character, character that would be needed for this particular task. They need to be of uh, good repute. They need to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And uh, what's interesting, so he says, we will appoint them to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, you might be saying, well, nowhere in this passage does it say anything about deacons. So why would we say that this is the institution of the deacons? Well, in... Greek, the word for service. Uh, you'll, you'll see back there it says, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, is what it says in verse 2. That word for service, the Greek word is diacaneo, from which we get our word deacon. Um, and But what's interesting is that the, the apostles don't say that they won't serve. It's a question of what they will serve. Because they say, oh, we, don't, we, can't, we can't stop preaching the word to serve tables. But then he says in verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the diakoneo, the ministry, the service of the word. We, we will appoint other people to serve the tables while we serve the word of God. So that service is important. And so the, um, they put this before the whole group of disciples They're agreeable to this plan, and it says that they appoint seven men, and it lists out the names of the men, and uh, what's important to realize is that all of these men, they have Greek names, which leads many people to believe that the reason why the the group selected these men was because the complaint was coming from the Greek-speaking Jews, and they Uh, They called men or they selected men who would have a specific care and focus for these widows and hopefully for the whole of the church. And these, uh, they set before the apostles and then the apostles prayed for them and laid their hands on them, essentially setting them apart, ordaining them for this, this particular task that they had. So there was the problem, there was the solution, but then verse 7 tells us the result. The result is the church is now even more fruitful. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Caring for the practical needs of the church resulted in the word of God increasing. Increasing. So just a a few uh, key points that we want to draw out of this text as we consider this. And the first and the foremost is that we have to see that the Lord Jesus Christ cares deeply for the practical needs of his flock. At the same time, we have to recognize that this is not the main thing that the church is tasked with the main thing that the church is tasked with is the proclamation of the word of god and yet the proclamation of the message of the word of god results in the care the service of the members of the flock of god for one another and for those in the world service is the practical and necessary outworking of the gospel which we preach. Um, Throughout scripture, uh, God makes very clear that he cares about the oppressed. In this passage, it is is the widows who are being overlooked. Throughout scripture, we see God saying that he cares about the widow, the poor, the orphan, the sojourner, Those who are marginalized and cast off and thought low of, God cares for them. He has a heart for them, and he calls his people to care for them. And we're to care for them because God cares for them, and it is God's purpose and plan to care for them through his people, even the body of Christ. And what we need to understand is that the Lord will care for them, and the Lord will provide For you and for me, he will provide not just the the meat of the word of God, but he will provide for the practical needs of his people. We have to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ came as the suffering servant, the one who came to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. And we see that in uh, lots of different ways. Uh, he, he demonstrated a service and a heart for the marginalized, for the widows, for um, the lost. And that ought to overflow in how we care for them. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ, remember, said, uh, don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat, or what you're going to wear, because your Father knows that you need these things. And God's purpose is to care for that, to provide through his people. And we see that in a couple of different places. The, the first, I would say, um, b- even before this Acts chapter 6 passage, is the passage that Elder Bell re- read from Matthew chapter 14 in the feeding of the 5,000. Um, Jesus had cared for this flock, and the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, it's late, they're hungry, let, let them go, let them go somewhere else. And he says, they, you don't need to send them away, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And now in Acts chapter 6, those same men that had fed the 5,000, the bread and the fish, are now, t- see their responsibility to feed the multitude with the word of God, And they, in turn, say, let's appoint someone else to care for the flock in these these tangible, practical ways. In both cases, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the primary thing. And the practical care of the flock flows out of that as the necessary result. It was the case with Jesus, and again here in Acts chapter 6. But what ought to get our attention is that in both cases, God shows us that he is very concerned that we care for one another. It would have been very easy for Jesus to simply say to the disciples, yeah, you're right, it's late, send them away. But he doesn't do that. He says, no, you care for them. Here in Acts chapter 6, The apostles could have simply said, guys, we're not in the business of taking care of widows. Let let somebody else care for them. Send them somewhere else. But instead, he says, no, we're going to appoint men who are tasked with this job of this duty, he says, to care for them. Um, A faithful church... A faithful church is a church that will care for its people, both spiritually and practically, first to uh, one another, to the household of God, but then even outside of the borders of our church. That's why when we talk about outreach, we talk about word and deed outreach. And what we mean by that is, we mean there is a message of the gospel that we are sharing, but we also serve with our hands with the practical needs uh, that we care for those uh, as a as a means of sharing the love of Christ. But then it is necessarily a, the thing that we speak of the gospel that we have. Uh, that that speaks to the the heart of men and women. And where this conversation intersects with the whole discussion about elders and deacons is right here is that elders as we talked about last week are charged with the oversight of the flock of God. And yet elders cannot do everything. They're not called to do everything in the church. The the apostles here in Acts chapter 6, and the elders which follow, these apostles set the pattern for elders. These apostles say, we cannot stop preaching the word. We need to focus on the preaching of the word and prayer. This is an important concern, but we cannot let that concern get in the way of our particular task. And so they appoint the deacons to care for the practical needs of the church. So there's necessarily a cooperation between the office of elder and deacon. They work hand in hand in this ministry of caring for, of shepherding the flock of God. But we also have to see that there is, by the nature of the office of deacon, a necessary subordination to the office of elder. And I'll give you two reasons why that is the case and why we have to see it as such. The first is we see that the office of deacon is flowing out of the authority and role of the elders. The elders are the ones who are called to shepherd the flock. They're shepherding the flock through this delegated authority to the diaconate. And even in our own um, PCA uh, polity, this is a fancy word, the uh, if, if a church does not have deacons, then technically the elders are the deacons. Because the, the role of the diaconate is a, a part of the overall authority of the church. So it's, one is because it's a derived authority. But the second is just by the nature of the role that they have been tasked. Elders are called to be stewards of the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Deacons are called to be stewards of the gifts of the body of Christ, the gifts of the body of Christ. Elders steward their, that mystery of the gospel through the proclamation of the word, through the ministry of the word, and through prayer. And deacons steward the gifts through the practical one another ministry of the church. But the gifts and practice that the church does flow out of the gospel of grace. It is because of the gospel that we have been given gifts, that we love one another, that we practice these things, that we have this this service responsibility. It's from the foundation of the gospel. And so the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel, the word of the gospel, must be front and center and primary in everything that we say and do. And so if we look back to this particular passage and we consider this, a deacon holds the ministry of the word as primary, but they serve by removing any obstacles from the path of those who are called to proclaim the word and minister the word. So anything that is not directly related to the word and prayer, the deacons ought to be taking that and serving with that, uh, taking the lead on those things. So it's an office primarily of service where the deacon serves God by serving the elders to serve the people and to cultivate a spirit of service within the body itself. Even these seven guys, with all the people that were in that, uh, in, in the church at this particular time, those seven guys, I don't think we're expected to believe that only those seven guys cared for those widows. Those seven men were, by the wisdom and of the Spirit that was within them, were no doubt enlisting other individuals to help with this care. They were cultivating a spirit of, of service and mercy and compassion for those within their number. It, they were taking the lead on this service, but not necessarily doing it all themselves. And it's because of this, beloved, that deacons, these men here are, are called, they were to be men who were of good repute and full of the spirit and of wisdom. It, uh, it was a, a critical aspect of the ministry of the church. These were men who needed to be men who are full of wisdom and grace, but also compassion and mercy for God's people. And so there's a, there's a harmonious and glorious relationship between the office of elder, of elder and deacon, and both of them are necessary and good for a, a faithful ministry. But our faithful our ministry has one primary goal. Not, not two goals, but one goal. And that goal is the glory of God in the expansion of the kingdom of Christ. As it says in verse 7, "...and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly." Our goal is the spread of the gospel, and the gospel is spread as we proclaim it and as we live it out, and God brings us about through our one ministry of word and deed. So that's the first thing we want to see. The second thing is to that point is that we have to rejoice but also accept that God Christ is building His kingdom, and He's building His kingdom through faithful church ministry. We see at the very beginning of this passage and at the end of this passage, it's bookended by growth of the church. Um, A faithful church ministry will result in fruitfulness, but growth is not the goal. Church growth is not the goal. Um, We need to be faithful as a church, regardless of how many people show up on a Sunday morning or are members. We ought to expect that the Lord will bring fruitfulness, but growth, growth is never the goal. If growth is the goal, it, we will be tempted to adapt our ministry beyond what Scripture says in order to attract people. And we can never, never do that. We must be faithful to the Word of God in how we conduct Ministry, but faithful ministry will bring fruitfulness in maturity of our members, but also we should expect numerical growth. And uh, this, this can be hard to accept. Uh, many of us fear what could happen if a church grows. Some of us prefer the, the appeal of a small church. And if we look at this passage, our fears are somewhat justified. I mean, this, this church, the early church was growing. Now they had people of different ethnic backgrounds. They had people with different languages. And there was conflict. There was conflict. And uh, so the faithfulness resulted in the growth, but the growth resulted in conflict. And then it's easy for us to say, well, exactly. <laughs> That's why smaller churches are better. But beloved, this is the Lord's church. And the Lord's going to bring the increase according to his own timing. We, we are here to seek his glory, not our comfort. Um, the, we also have to see the complexity and the conflict doesn't thwart his purposes. It doesn't, doesn't change, but it actually um, illuminates his tender care for his people it brings about the purposes that he intended for his church beloved what you have to know is that the lord intends for you individually and for us as a body to grow to mature and what that means often is that the lord will push us beyond the the realms of our comfort even to the ends of our abilities so that we would let go of our idols of control and trust in his, the sufficiency of his power and his grace. But the Lord always provides what he needs or what we need in order to do what he calls us to do. In this case, he, he gave us the office of deacon. And these these weren't just, I mean, you might think just any, they could have just picked any guy, any guys that were willing to wait tables. If you're willing, serve. But no, he he appointed godly men, men who were full of the Spirit. Um, When when they're listing out the names, uh, it starts off by saying, uh, Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, And I don't think that's isolating Stephen. That's a representative of all of them. And even if we go through the next couple chapters of Acts, we see a focused in view on both Stephen and Philip, those first two men that are listed there. And these men are godly men who proclaim the gospel with clarity and power and authority. And the Lord is working his were, you know working through these men to bring about his purposes and the the growth and the conflict created the opportunity for the lord to raise up additional men for this office to serve and that the additional service the additional leadership with the wisdom and, of of the holy spirit brought about God's purposes to grow the church even more. It's awesome. But uh, the third thing I want to highlight is just how the Lord called these men to this duty. So the complaint comes to the twelve, and the twelve say, you brothers pick out from among you seven men of good repute, And the congregation picks out the seven men. They bring them back to the 12. And then the 12 lay their hands on them and appoint them to this task. So I think that's important for us to realize is that the the apostles at this time and elders from that have been given the authority of the church. And yet um, their call is to select that the, the people of God would select their leaders. And the people of God selected these seven men, and yet they were set apart, appointed, and ordained for the task under the authority of the church. That's what's going on with the laying on of hands. And so that's why, this is why in the month of September and probably on an annual basis, the elders of the church will be calling on all of you to consider who you might nominate to the office of elder and deacon. And notice what's going on here is that the apostles are telling the people, you choose men who are of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. So he's putting the onus on the, the membership to evaluate and to know one another, to know who they ought to call to this duty. And so understand this, beloved, is that the Lord will call men to the office of elder and deacon through your work, through your selection, your evaluation. And there is an evaluation process that I think is not in this passage, but we see elsewhere in Scripture that the elders do do as part of uh, the authority of the church, but it is a a cooperative effort we all need to participate in. And so to that point, um, as you consider who you might call, who you might select, nominate for the office of deacon and we need to think about what the work entails and the qualifications need to be there. I mean right there uh, front and center is men of good repute full of the spirit and of wisdom. You ought to be looking for that. Uh, but since this is an office of service, primarily of service, leading the, the congregation in service, We have to be looking for men who are uniquely qualified, uniquely gifted in service, Um, men who have exemplary hearts of service to set an example for the flock. Um, Since this is a task that is under the authority of the elders, we have to be looking for men who humbly submit to the lead of the elders and seek to support the ministry of Zion and to that point we'll see the centrality of the preached word of God as the primary ministry of the church and seek to support that ministry by taking away by absorbing under their leadership anything that would take away from that task but also because they will care for you and your family they ought to be men who are full of wisdom and compassion and mercy. These are men who will love you and lead you well. So be in prayer for that. And if I could also direct your prayers in just a few other ways as we consider this passage, be in prayer that we as a church might be faithful to God in the proclamation of the gospel, in the practical outworking of the gospel, and that our faithfulness would result in fruitfulness, fruitfulness, of our ministry. Pray that, as we saw here in this passage, that our church would grow even in its diversity, that the Lord would bring uh, members people to to share the gospel of grace that would reflect our community with different uh, ethnic, cultural, generational, socioeconomic backgrounds. We desire for our church to reflect the kingdom of God, to be a small microcosm of the diverse kingdom of God. And as we grow, pray that the Lord would raise up godly leaders who are filled with wisdom, who would be able to guide the church, in the midst of these conflicts and challenges to bring about God's glory. Um, It's been said that actions speak louder than words. I think if we consider what God's word says is that in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of the gospel fuels the practice of the gospel. It results in the practice of the gospel. And God, in his grace and his wisdom, leads us, equips us, and shepherds us in both of these aspects, the truth, the word, the gospel, the practice, through the leaders that he appoints in elders and deacons. And so may the Lord raise up for us godly men who will lead his church, and may his church bring him glory and praise, both now and forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are so gracious to us. You provide for us everything that we need. We thank you that you care for us, that no aspect of our life, spiritual, physical, practical, you name it, uh, that you do not meet. I pray that we would be faithful in being your hands and your feet in these things, your mouthpiece in the midst of the culture to one one another in the midst of this world. And I pray, Lord, that you bring fruitfulness To our ministry and, and faithfulness to you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.